0: The Bible contains great financial advice, and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today and ready to study the Bible, and uh, we hope we get to your question if you've given us one in the last few weeks. We're always trying to catch up; we're always behind, but uh, we'll get to them eventually, and. If you're a regular viewer, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a first-time viewer, uh, that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. We've got a phone number and a website. It'll be at the bottom of your screen all through the program. You can use it anytime you want. And uh, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we do is answer your questions and hope that helps you know your Bible a little bit better. And when I say we, I talk about me and uh, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can, but we always give you one first. So here's one for the audience. Uh, What was the Apostle Paul's Jewish name? What was his Jewish name? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that one. Looks like I drew the first little question today. So uh, let's see if we can answer it. Who is Lucifer? Well, if you ask the man on the street, you probably get 99 out of 100 responses that uh, Lucifer is Satan. Everybody knows that. That's just a name for him. Well, maybe. Uh, Lucifer... Uh, That term is used one time in the Bible and only in the King James translation of the Bible. And it literally means a shining one or a light bearer, uh, something of light. And the tradition is that that's a name for Satan. And it's very common in literature, all sorts of books and classic books and everything referred to Satan as Lucifer. If you read the scriptures where it's found, uh, you'll find that it's really not specifically talking about Satan. In fact, let's, let me just read you a couple of verses. Uh, Isaiah fourteen twelve in the King James is where we see the word. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? how art thou cut down to the ground? Which uh, which didst weaken the nations? But if you go back up to verse 4, here's what that verse is talking about. Uh, God tells Isaiah, take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So verse 12 is referring to the king of Babylon. That whole chapter is a prophecy against uh, the king of Babylon. Now some people think, that it has a dual meaning, that it's also talking about Satan, and a lot of it sounds like it. Uh, that verse I read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Certainly sounds like Satan, but specifically it's talking about the king of Babylon. It's a, uh, a metaphor for him falling from power and all that. So. Everybody calls Satan Lucifer, and we'll probably never change that. Uh, But just a little bit of Bible trivia there is the Bible really doesn't tell us uh, that Satan's name is Lucifer. In fact, if you think about it, it um, (laughs) doesn't go with Satan. Lucifer is a bearer of light. Uh, a shining one, and maybe that's what he was in heaven, but he's certainly not a shining one now, so maybe we ought to stick to Satan or the devil or uh, some other <laughs> worse name for him <laughs> than, than shining one. All right, Okay. Oh. Uh,
1: w- someone wants to know, how do you know your loved ones are in heaven? Well my answer to that is you can only know and really only anyone can know of your position in heaven uh, depending on whether you know Jesus Christ or not whether you believed in him whether you trusted him the bible word for that is faith in a, in a trusted not just intellectually but trusted enough to do what he said to do in Matthew chapter 7 Matthew records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and during part of that sermon he said this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And uh, he's very clear about it. Um, There is only one way... To the Father, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me." So Jesus is the only way. Now, how do we get into Jesus? How do we show that we love Him? Uh, by doing what He said to do. Very simple, uh, and that's not earning anything. That's simply responding to His free gr- gift of grace uh, by do- by doing what He says to do by believing and and being baptized and uh, and living our lives. Uh, with him in charge doing what he said to do in all of our uh, words and in all of our deeds Um, the ultimate judgment of course is in God's hands and so we can know based on our ability to trust what Jesus said about uh, our final destination in eternity with the Lord uh, based on what he said about himself that he's the only way um, but that final judgment will be in the Lord's hands, and uh, it's up to him. But that's based on what his word says. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things, the Apostle John said, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. If you trust him, if you believe him, uh, if you do what he says to do, uh, then you can know, uh, not just for a family member, a loved one who's already passed on, uh, but you can know for yourself, and that's the most important
0: thing. I hope that helps. Okay, thanks Toby. We've got a short little question. What's an original sin? What is original sin? All right, let's start with this one. First, let's go to the dictionary. And see what it says, and that will help us explain what the Bible says. If you look up original sin in any dictionary, it will probably tell you two things. Uh, first one, it will say it's the first sin by Adam and Eve, original sin. The original sin was Adam and Eve were sinless. They lived in the garden. They had everything going for them. They had one rule. They weren't supposed to eat off of that one tree, and they did it. Uh, That was sin. That was the original first sin. Okay. Then the dictionary will tell you original sin also means uh, the doctrine of what Adam and Eve's sin caused. And that doctrine says that people get uh, receive death. we all have to die because of the original sin. And secondly, we receive the guilt. We're born guilty because of what Adam and Eve did. Okay, that's what the dictionary says. The original sin was what Adam and Eve did, but then there's a doctrine that men have come up with that original sin means that when we are born, we all are going to have to die physically, and we're born guilty, or guilty of the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Okay, that's the dictionary. Dictionary doesn't always agree with the Bible because the dictionary just reports what is common usage. If you go to the Bible, it says original sin is, yes, it's what Adam and Eve did. That was the first sin. That was the original sin. And it caused physical consequences. You read the curse that God put on Adam and Eve afterwards. It said because of this you're going to have to die. you didn't have to die when you were in the garden, but now you're kicked out of the garden, you're going to die. And everybody after you is going to die. So that's the physical consequence that came as a result of the original sin. But you read all through that curse and you won't find anywhere where it says anything about the guilt. Uh, We don't inherit the guilt of Adam and Eve. So that's where the Bible disagrees with the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin that some churches teach is that we have physical death and we have spiritual guilt because of Adam and Eve. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite about the spiritual guilt part of it. Let me read you a verse and show you that. Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, Verses 19 and 20. Let's look at that together. Uh, Ezekiel says, Yet you say, Why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer for the iniquity of the Son, Uh, the righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Okay, God speaks very clearly there in Ezekiel that uh, if you wonder about this, a son isn't guilty because his father did something wrong. Uh, The righteousness of the righteous is on them, wickedness of the wicked is on them. It's not about who your ancestor was and what they did wrong. So, there's where the Bible disagrees with the common doctrine of original sin. Adam and Eve committed the original sin, the very first one. Because of that, all humans have to die, but all humans are not born with the guilt of that sin. Uh, they bear that guilt, and we, when we begin to understand things and know what God, who God is, and what sin is, uh, we have a tendency to sin. Uh, but we don't have the guilt of Adam and Eve's sin. So what's original sin? hope that explains it. Let's take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we have some free materials that we like to give to our viewers if you want them. If you're interested in studying the Bible, we got some help for you. Uh, we've got all sorts of... Bible study helps, and we're coming up with more here in the near future, so uh, we're going to provide more ways for you to study the Bible, but uh, what we've got right here on the screen is the first set of lessons. There are eight lessons in it, good way to study the Bible, uh, good overview of the Bible, not a denominational thing or a human creed. It's just Bible study. And we think that's a good thing for us to do. So uh, start with the Old Testament and the New Testament there, the first two lessons. Then you'll learn a whole lot more about the Bible uh, by sitting down and doing each lesson. Hopefully you'll form a little habit of regular Bible study and be ready for the other advanced courses that we have beyond this. You can keep studying the Bible and knowing your Bible for a long time uh, with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So use the phone number, website, tell us you want it. We'll get it started for you. Absolutely no cost, free of charge to you. So let us know you'd like it, and we'll get it started. Toby.
1: All right. If you were asked the question uh, that maybe we've all had a thought about, why would God accept Abel's gifts but not Cain's? Did God show favoritism? Well, the story of Cain and Abel is found in Genesis chapter 4, and if you've ever uh, undertook to read your Bible, you come upon that story pretty quickly, and you may wonder, why does God uh, accept one the offering from one brother but not the other? What's the deal? And is God showing favoritism? All right. Well, let me answer uh, the two questions. Let me answer the favoritism question first. My answer to that is God did not show favoritism. Favoritism is an a unequal standard. So I have a daughter and a son, uh, and and if I have if I tell them uh, they're both supposed to clean their room. I have a standard for what a clean room is. Make the bed, pick up the stuff off the floor, put your dirty clothes away, uh, make sure there's no trash or anything, empty it out if it needs to be. Uh, And and that standard should be the same for both of them. Now, if they both clean their room, but they don't meet that standard, and I I let one child get away with it and not the other, uh, that's favoritism, because I've got a different standard for each child. Well, God didn't change His standard for Cain and Abel. Now they offered different things, uh, but the Scripture, when you look closely at it, tells us specifically why. In Genesis chapter four, verses two through seven, it says, uh, "And again, she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep." and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, that's important, and of their fat portions. Another important detail. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. It all seems like, well, they both are offering uh, something that they, of their livelihood. But the The offerings were different. Uh, Abel brought, uh, as a shepherd, brought some of the firstborn. He brought the best, the fat portions, uh, a sacrifice. Uh, Cain merely brought some of the fruits. Uh, We're not even told that they were the first fruits of his um, uh, harvest. And so, there's a different attitude in how they approached the Lord with what they brought. Now. The, the the details, the attitudes of the heart, uh, the the Bible doesn't tell us, but it gives us those clues there. That Cain brought the firstborn. Cain brought the fat offerings, which were uh, as we learn later under the mosaic mosaic law uh, that the um, they were to bring the firstborn. They were to bring God the best portions, and and that principle of first fruits applied also to people of agriculture. They were to bring the first part of the harvest and give that to God. It's a, it's an offering of faith. When you bring God your first and your best, uh, you're showing to Him that you really do truly trust Him. Or you know the attitude of of Cain was well you know I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna bring my portion in first and then if I have any leftover if I have some extra I'll give that to the Lord. Well people have those attitudes today. Hebrews 11:4 says it was by faith that Abel offered a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. He did what was right because he showed his trust in the Lord by doing. Uh, by giving him the first portion and the best portion of the sacrifice. So uh, what exactly God required? Did he spell it out for them? Well, the Bible doesn't give us that detail, but but he does know their hearts just as he knows ours, and he know, knew uh, that Abel offered a better sacrifice because uh, it was by faith. It was tr- showing his trust in the Lord. Abel worshipped in faith, Cain didn't, and Abel obeyed the Lord Cain didn't. So there's a difference there between the brothers. And when you think about it, your own life with the Lord, there's a very distinct attitude in one who worships, uh, who loves the Lord, who does things by faith, who gives God their best instead of just uh, their leftovers. So, no, God did not show favoritism. um, And the reason he accepted Abel's gift and not Cain's is because Abel's was offered in faith and uh, showed true trust in the Lord. Let's look at Acts 10, 34 through 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I hope that helps.
0: All right, got an interesting question here. It seems short and easy. Are there people in heaven and the reason I say it's short and sounds short and easy, but it's interesting, is it kind of depends who's asking and what you want to know. Uh, if my grandchild or a child asks, are there people in heaven? I say, well, sure. You know, grandma and grandpa are there, and old brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and all these people that we love, yeah, they're in heaven with Jesus right now. But somebody might be, Uh, Trying to get technical here and get into the doctrine of things. and That makes it a little more complicated. The first part, are there people in heaven? Uh, Well, we picture it as grandma and grandpa walking around just like we used to see them. Uh, But doctrinally, we know their bodies are in the ground. uh, Their spirit is with the Lord. And at resurrection day, uh, the resurrection body will be reunited with the spirit so there' are spirits in heaven uh, we don't know what they look like or if they look like anything we don't understand that yet uh, so when you say are there people in heaven you have to understand that part second part is what do you mean by heaven uh, heaven we call where God is the throne room of God and God and Jesus are there right now and that's the place of God and all that but Bible also says at resurrection day, when Jesus comes again, uh, after the judgment, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the city of God is going to take its place there in the new heavens. And so the ultimate heaven doesn't exist yet. But if you mean by heaven where God is, yes. Uh, I believe the answer is just like I'd tell my grandchild. Yes, there are people in heaven. Uh, Paul said it this way, and maybe this explains it the best we can. In 2 Corinthians five eight, uh, Paul said, We are confident, I say, and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whatever your doctrine of heaven is or your doctrine of spirit and resurrection body and all that, we know this. When we die, we, our spirit, leaves the body and it goes to be with the Lord, assuming we're one of his children. So uh, are there people in heaven? Certainly, yes. Are there doctrinal questions that we could spend a little while talking about? Yes, but... Yeah, there's people in heaven. <laughs> All right, let me take a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ keep this program on the air, and we appreciate them and like to mention some each week. And, uh, every few weeks we mention the home church of Know Your Bible because the folks there... Uh, provide a lot for this program and started the program a number of years ago and still supported heavily. uh, The Northside Church of Christ up on North Meridian in Wichita, Kansas Uh, is the home church of Know Your Bible and Toby and I both attend there uh, along with a whole bunch of other really good Christian folks and we'd invite you to visit us sometime. Uh, if you live in the Wichita area or you're maybe passing through on vacation, we have folks that stop in. We're always happy to meet them when they tell us they watch the program and we uh, glad to meet some viewers. So stop in and see us sometime. Uh, wherever you live, whatever market you're watching in, uh, there's a Church of Christ near you and you'd find a group of folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Uh, drop in give them a visit. Tell them if you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Come visit us sometime. All right, Toby. A yeah, viewer
1: asked, uh, when I use God's name in vain and then ask forgiveness, am I forgiven? Uh, I'm trying to keep from saying it. Well, I, <clears throat> you know, a, a lot of variables there that I don't have, and it depends a great deal on the condition of your heart. A person who says it, and then maybe they've been... a. Uh, Using foul language in the Lord's name in vain, all throughout their life. Maybe they were raised in it, and they're just so used to it; it's just a habit. And then they're very sincerely trying to break that habit. Then yes, I think uh, certainly I know you can be forgiven, and I think you can also break the habit as well. It may take a little bit of time. Now, if it's a person who just, you know, really doesn't care too much, and and doesn't hold God's word with re- uh, God's name with reverence and just kind of does it and doesn't see it as a big deal, I think there's a bigger problem there. So really, in truth, only you and the Lord can know your heart on this one. But I'm going to assume you are sincere. And, of course, if you're a Christian, you can be forgiven of any sin, every sin that you've even ever thought of or will commit. Jesus paid the price for at the cross. Uh, And we're told in John that if you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, uh, you're promised that a continual cleansing from all sin. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew twenty or twelve verse thirty four, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So when we're talking about this problem of using the Lord's name in vain, we're really not talking about a mouth problem. We're talking about a heart problem and so <clears throat> I think something that will help you is to begin to revere God's name, to read through the Psalms, to think about what he's done in the story of the Bible and in maybe in your own life and how he's worked. And when you really consider the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace of God and his holiness and his righteousness, uh, you really do begin to change your attitude and how you speak of the Lord. So hopefully you can change your heart when you change your heart uh, the mouth begins to change as well. Some suggestions I'll give you: like I said, read the Psalms, to be in the Word in general more. Um, uh, filter what you put in. Uh, if you're watching foul TV and hanging around with people who use the Lord's name in vain, that's going to be a problem for you to be able to stop. Do that. Uh, replace it with some uh, listening to uh, podcasts, uh, Christian teaching, uh, reading the Bible. Uh, Christian music even, uh, those things will help you. And if certainly, speaking of help, ask the Spirit for help. Help Him to ask Him to guide your heart to say the right things. Let's finish by looking at the verse of reference from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Yes, I, I can. You, I do believe you can be forgiven, and I think there are some helps that will help you in your walk with the Lord and your talk about the Lord
0: alrighty what did Jesus mean in Matthew chapter 26 verse 61 about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days well if you read Matthew 26 where Jesus said that Matthew just tells us he said it and I can understand why somebody say, well what does that mean Luckily, we have some other accounts, and some of the gospel writers gave us a little more detail. If we go to the account over in John, Jesus himself uh, answers it, or actually John answers it. uh, Starting in verse 18, the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, here's where he said it, Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple, here's John's explanation, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed that scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So John explains it for us very simply. Uh, He was talking about his body and the apostles didn't even understand it. So when you read Matthew, I understand why you didn't understand it uh, because he was standing in the temple he said, I'll raise it again and they didn't get that. Uh, John says he was talking about his body and a few days later, uh, after the resurrection, his apostles said now we know what he was talking about. Uh, He was talking about raising his own body from the dead and that's what he did so uh, sometimes those gospel accounts uh, help us understand one that doesn't explain it completely Uh, that's why some cross references in the middle of your page sometimes you look at those and uh, the one in Matthew will say hey look over at John chapter 2 or John chapter uh, whatever that chapter was (laughs) John John chapter 2 you'll get the get figured out a little bit better. So good question, but check the other gospel accounts or check a cross-reference or sometimes a study Bible will help you understand that a little bit. All right, we're out of time for questions today, but we're going to be back next week and try to answer some more. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course, today would be a good day to do that and we'll get you started on that. We always like to answer our trivia question before we quit and see if you knew the answer. What was Apostle Paul's Jewish name? And that was Saul. He was called Saul. And then once he became a Christian, uh, people started calling him Paul a little bit more. But uh, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he was a pretty uh, well connected Jew. He was a Pharisee and uh, knew a lot about the Jewish religion. But it turned to Paul. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. <laughs>